Hello there and welcome to Community Life. Here we talk with the community experts about their life journeys and learn from each other. Today we have a conversation with Sarah Hawk, a procrastinator, not to be confused with a procrastinator, <laughs> an exercise addict who teaches group fitness classes, a bonsai trees grower, and the CEO of Discourse, who is passionate about a collision of people and technology. In other words, about online communities. So, hello, Hulk. Good day. I'm always a little confused when somebody is telling me to name them not by name. And I saw that H is for Hulk. And I read on your Twitter bio that only your mother calls you Sarah. It's Hulk <laughs> to anyone else. Why is it so? Oh, that's a good story. Um, it came about when I was a software engineer back, I don't want to age myself, I'll age myself, <laughs> back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, and the online world was pretty toxic for young 20-year-old female software developers. And I got quite a lot of, um, yeah, not, I wouldn't say abuse, but but definitely toxic, toxic responses and um some misogyny some dick pic requests is it okay to swear on this <laughs> um, and so um yeah as a result i learned that uh if i went by my surname walk um that i was treated more fairly and so as a result um that stuck i got to a point where now most of the people in my work life don't know my name sarah <laughs> <laughs> really so it came came from came from a serious place but um but yeah now it now it just is got it and also you are the first person from whom i heard the word procrastinator ah yeah so tell me more about your relationships with procrastination <laughs> yeah so i learned the word um after many years of fighting with my family <laughs> about why on earth I needed us to organize everything immediately. As soon as someone comes up with an idea, I jump straight to the execution and I come up with a plan and they were like, well, hang on a minute. We're still just at stage two. Um, and I think from a personal perspective, um, I have so much going on in my life and my world that it's safer for me to tick the box when the box becomes apparent. So if you ask me to do something, I will do it straight away. And then I don't have to worry about it anymore. Um, I think if you look up um, procrastination, you'll find that there is, there are some kind of negative connotations and, and those are very fair. Um, but as a general rule, yeah, I, I, I think that um, getting things done fast and, um, in a timely manner when I feel like I've got the headspace for it is a hell of a lot more kind of um, it, it serves me better than having a long list and pushing to the end of it the thing that I don't really want to do so my my, my number one life tip is um, start your day with the thing that you want to do the least if you've got to mm -hmm. do it mm -hmm. I, I can really relate to you because when I also have some task it's better to tackle right away because then it's like ah, it just does not feel good but yeah. also you know but also what i found that sometimes uh, 
sometimes if you're not tackling it right away, it can disappear. Yes. So kind of like you don't want. So what I like, um, are there any caveats of being a procrastinator? Yeah, I do think there are. I think the my number one caveat would be um, that if you are busy and trying to jump through a list that you can kind of half-ass, does half-ass make sense to you? Half-ass something, do something not to its full potential when maybe you could if you had more time later. So I managed that by setting a reminder to come back and revisit it later. But if I do the bulk of the work, then if I come back to it later and I get my reminder and it says, just double check this before you send it, if I read it and I'm like, yeah, no, that's sweet as, off it goes. Um, but yeah, I, I do think... Um, that I potentially don't give as much credence to something as it deserves because I want to get it out the door fast, but it makes me more productive. And I think it also closes that feedback loop for people because there's nothing worse than sending an email or reaching out to somebody and asking them to do something and then sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And it's like, at what point do I nag them? Um, In some ways it's better to go in with it, go in hot. I like to go in hot and then um, revisit later if necessary. And I also feel like it's very similar to this minimum viable product approach. So you kind of create something and like wait for feedback and then to improve something. Totally. Got it. You have 14 year old twins who you hang with when not working in this course. And what do you enjoy doing with them the most? Oh, good question. Um, that's changed over the years. Um, I'd say things have changed a lot this year for the first time in their lives. They are now bigger than me. Uh, so <laughs> it's like, um, yeah, it, ooh, what we love cooking. We love cooking together. Um, we love finding new places to eat hmm. together. We love um, fun banter. I think that the, the the difference between sort of like 12, 11 or 12 year old kids and 14 year old kids is, is massive. Suddenly <laughs> they get your sense of humor. And to be fair, that's a, a stretch because not many people get my sense of humor. Um, yeah, you can have, you can have adult conversations. I mean, there, there's always that, for any parent will tell you, there's there's always a, um, a fine line between being friends with your kids mm. and being a parent yeah, to your kids. Yeah. Uh, you, need, you need to be a parent and you need to have authority. But um, yeah, I, I, enjoy, I enjoy the banter. I enjoy seeing them grow into their personalities. Um, we, I think uh, we were really fortunate because, um, uh, well, COVID in New Zealand was very different for, from COVID in lots of other countries, but COVID in New Zealand was essentially lockdown. So the first um, couple of months and then I think consecutively over the next couple of years, maybe we had 14 to 18 weeks of full lockdown and full lockdown for us meant no, nothing, no takeaways, no dropping into the your local you know it was literally um we were allowed to leave the house for exercise and you're supposed to stay within your community and so for us that meant you know our kids weren't in school and so we'd go for a walk each day an hour-long walk each day and there was something just really magic um what I've learned about parenting is that if you can walk beside your kids and and talk 
you have a very different conversation than you do, for instance, at the dinner table or sitting down in the room. And when you're when you're facing someone, it feels confrontational or it feels they feel like they have to be on top of their game as far as a quick response goes. But when you're walking beside someone, it feels more like a, a friendly chat and, you know, people have a chance to think about their response. And so that really kind of opened up our relationship in a really magic way. And so whilst I would say that COVID is one of the worst things that I've experienced, it, it <laughs> certainly for us as a family was quite magic in, in that way. Um, and I'm grateful, I'm grateful for that. Also, I guess, um, the fact that I already worked from home remotely meant that our life didn't change too much um, outside of the fact that the kids were at sorry, at home, not at school. Um, But yeah, that, that really unlocked my relationship with them in a, in a positive way. Was it the COVID when you understood, when you felt yourself like a friend to your kids? Yeah, I think it was, I think, uh, and, and also though, to be fair, that was timing as well like my kids had just I don't know what school constructs um look like for you guys but here in New Zealand we have primary school which is five to I don't know usually around nine and then from nine till 11 or 12 you have what we call intermediate school which is just like two years of of a, a different school which is mostly focused on kind of social development And it's when you first do like cooking and when you first do, you know, those kinds of fun subjects. Um, and it's not heavily focused on academic learning. Um, and so they're kind of years where kids learn who they are. And sadly for my kids, they were at home for most of it. Um, but as a result, that was that kind of really elastic, flexible time of a, of a child's coming into themselves that I suppose in some ways I'm grateful that we were there to be able to help shape what that looked like for them um, and and also from a selfish perspective it was a hell of a lot easier homeschooling 11 and 12 year olds than it was five and six year olds or kids to be fair that were doing important exams or or whatever so um the timing if, if there's good timing for a global pandemic uh, i think i lucked it i lucked out <laughs> yeah you know like when i when i'm thinking about covid it's, it's always like on one point it's kind of like super hard and many people lost their relatives and friends yeah, yeah and from really. another perspective like it made people so much closer So, totally. you know, it's, I feel like it's always, there are some bad stuff and there are some good stuff. It depends. Yeah. And yeah. It made us revisit our values in a, in a positive way. I think that was the, the good bit. The bad bit was kind of the echo chambers and the kind of lost friendships when people struggled to find their way politically, I guess for New Zealand was quite a big thing. We don't really want to talk politics on your podcast, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I do. I think it made us, I think it made us just slow down and think about the things that, that were important and the things that make our lives truly beautiful and gave us time to kind of focus on those. It made me slow down so much. And that was, uh, that was, that was magic for me. And what do you cook together? Oh, Wow. So right now they're downstairs cooking Thai chicken meatball noodle soup. 
Um, <laughs> so they're preparing uh, a dinner for you? <laughs> yep, yep, they are. They are. Um, I, oh, my, my son Israel would tell you that his um, signature dish is um, pork belly bao buns. Um, my daughter whips up a mean smoothie. I don't know what she'd say her signature dish was, but my husband's also a great cook. So we kind of share, share cooking duty across, across the board, which is nice, especially, you know, because the nature of my work means that often I have a call at this time of night or whatever, and it's good to not, it, it, well, now we're going to another subject I'm about to, because um, it's a trick thing to be in a CEO role and have kids and manage your life and do all of those kinds of things without feeling overwhelmed. And so I'm super fortunate to have the supportive family that kind of are flexi and work with me around those things so that it's, it's not just me doing all the stuff. Tell me a story about your kids' names. Okay. <laughs> oh, it's a good, good story, maybe. Good story for me. Um, my daughter's name is Hunter. And she, uh, when I was a teenager, I had um, a friend who had a brother called Hunter who committed suicide. And at the time that was... Fun to, you know, when you're 13 and you're hormonal and everything, your romanticized life like that was a that was a big deal for me, and I it it, it, it stuck with me deeply. And so I I had always been like, right, I'm gonna not not so much to honor this guy's memory, but just because it was a, a romantic time in my life, and yeah. and and I thought it was a cool name, and so I decided that my first child was going to be called Hunter. It wasn't a common name at the time, especially in New Zealand. Um, move on 20 years and it had became a it had become a pretty common boy's name um and i i decided that as a result i would call well so i didn't know i was having twins then i found out i was having twins boy and a girl so i'm like i'll call my daughter hunter because that's more interesting then i had to go through that oh my god what am i going to call my son <laughs> so i um remembered a time that i went down to my, my brother used to have a, a cocktail bar a cocktail lounge and I went down to the bar one night and there was this just really cool looking guy sitting at the bar. It was when you could smoke in bars. I don't know if you can, uh, where you're from, but you can't, can't hear. And there was a guy having a cigarette and a whiskey. And I sat down and I said, g'day. And he said, hi, my name's Izzy. I'm like, Izzy, that's an interesting name for a man. And he said, yeah, it's, it's Israel. And I'm like, oh man, that's a cool name. There you go. That's my second, that's my second <laughs> name. So um, there was nothing deeply fundamentally philosophical about their names they were names that touched me at a moment in time in a way um that I wanted my kids like uh, so we've talked about my name before Sarah it's been the most common female name in New Zealand for uh, probably 30 years right like uh when I was at primary school one year there was five Sarahs in my class when you're walking down the street if someone calls Sarah you just don't turn around because it's definitely not for you right? <laughs> so I kind of as you know I don't I don't use Sarah um very much anymore and I whilst I'm grateful that my parents didn't give me a name that I was ever embarrassed of or ashamed about um I wanted my kids to have something that was more unique for them um and so yeah so that was a lot of words to answer a simple question have you ever thought about changing your name well i guess i did really 
um, by by not using by not using Sierra. Um, yeah, kind of was... changed it, but I mean, like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I have got a good name-changing story actually. A couple when I um, so I'm currently on my currently on my second marriage. That sounds like I've got more planned. Um, I'm I'm on my second marriage. My first marriage was. Um, to a guy whose surname was Taylor and I changed my name from Sarah Hawk to Sarah Taylor. Mm. I didn't want to, I was born Sarah Ann Hawk and Ann was nothing, didn't mean anything important to me. So I changed my name by default to Sarah Hawk Taylor when I married my first husband. And I went from being the only Sarah Hawk on any list, you know, when you go into a shop and they go, Oh, what's your name? <laughs> uh, I was the only Sarah Hawk ever. And then I went to being one of like 10 pages of Sarah Taylor's. <laughs> oh man, this is, that, that was kind of the first time that I realized that there is something quite important about names as unique identifiers, right? And if your name yeah. isn't a unique identifier, it, it throws you in the path of a lot of frustration. So um, I, when I ended up divorcing my first husband, I had this decision to make about whether I changed my name when I married my, my second husband. Um, and by that stage, everyone knew me as Hawk, so it just it just made no sense. But um, so I did. I changed my name legally twice. From I was born Sarah Ann Hawk. I changed it to Sarah Hawk Taylor, and now I'm just back to Sarah Hawk. But I tell you what, changing your name is an expensive proposition. <laughs> a couple of grand every time because you've got to get a new passport, you've got to get your driver's license, you've got to change it on all your email addresses. Like it, it's it yeah, it's not something to be taken lightly. I'm not changing it again. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, I, I totally know because I, I also kind of changed my last surname. There is a story behind like oh, yeah. it was uh, it was my mother and father divorced. So kind of had right. the surname of my father. And then like, why should you hold it? You, you didn't even know him. Like, why don't you took your grandfather's surname? I was like, yeah, okay, why not? Like, so totally cool. It works for me. So I didn't think a lot about that. But yeah, yeah. I, I, I really feel you at this point. Um, let's start a little from the beginning. Tell me about mm -hmm. your parents. Who are they? Well, my parents are cool. I'm really proud of my parents. Um, my dad uh, was a lawyer for most of his life. He was born in a small town here in New Zealand. Well, it's actually a city now, but probably for most of the people listening, it will be a small town called Hamilton. And he moved up to Auckland to go to university and, and study law. And my mum was um, uh, a high achieving, um, she was a, a researcher and she one day walked into my dad's office and asked him to um, write her will for him. And my favorite thing um, about this story is that my dad, uh, if you ask my dad what the best day of his life was, he will say, it's not the day that I saw the sun rise over the pyramids in Egypt and it's not the day that I climbed Mount Haleakala and it's not the day that I rode a camel through what you know it was the day that this beautiful young woman walked into my office and asked me to change her will um and it's such a beautiful thing so my parents um uh still they're happily married they've been married for 50 years and they actually just live over the back fence um from from my home which um yeah I'm grateful for my my dad um, is he suffers from dementia and so it's magic to be able to be there on this journey while he still has connections with us and while we can support my mum and go and, and, and all that. So yeah, family, um, family and sense of place 
uh, two of the most important things things to me, I think, um, which potentially is a big part of kind of why I do the work that I do, like human connection and the value that we get from that and the beauty of learning what other people feel and think and why they behave in the ways that they do are um, other things that fascinate me the most. So, um, yeah, so my, my folks are next door and I'm, I'm very grateful for that. How many lawyers do you have in your family? <laughs> um, I, oh no, my, so both my siblings and my dad. So I'm the only one that chose not to do it. <laughs> right? How come? How come? I actually thought about it, to be honest. I thought about it. Um, in New Zealand, when you're in high school, there's, well, at least when I was in high school, there's this kind of pressure. And it's probably everywhere, this pressure to decide what you want to be when you grow up. And how the hell do you know what you want to be when you grow up, when you're 15, 16, 17? And so my parents were always um, quite pragmatic about it. And they were sort of like, well, you know, if you there are, there are certain degrees or, or careers that you can choose that are transferable skills in law as one. Um, and so both my siblings chose that path. My path was different. I... Um, I actually studied architecture um, at university and I did that because um, my I was about 11 when we my parents got some renovations done to our home mm. and I followed the lawyer sorry not the lawyers the, the builders around the whole time holding their tools helping them do things getting in their way um, and I told my parents that I was going to be a builder when I grew up and they suggested to me that I might Uh, be not a very good builder and so <laughs> I'm very clumsy <laughs> I have a lot of accidents so maybe um, an architect would be uh, a good way to get that same satisfaction from what I enjoyed about the physicality of of, of creating something um, and so yeah so I, so that's how I got into that but um, yeah I I don't know. I, I reckon I wouldn't. I reckon I'd be a good builder. I, I'm a I'm a debater. Anyone that <laughs> anyone that meets me would say I like a good fight. <laughs> yeah, good fight. It's definitely something good. But you know, I I feel like having a good fight. It's more like a lawyerish. Exactly. That's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So I think I would have been. I think I would have been an okay lawyer. But um, but I also that what I what I see about their their lawyering is that so much of it is just a well, not just about that's belittling what they do it, it's about learning rote learning like you've got to remember or research or look up all of these constructs that already exists or these precedents that have already been predefined and I am not somebody that a has a good memory or b likes to follow the already well-trodden path so I think for those reasons, um, it's probably better that I that I chose a different career, <laughs> which, as we both know, was not architecture. But I I was an architect for a few years. I really enjoyed it, um, but yeah, it was it wasn't. I I when I was at university, the dream was that we would create these incredible landmarks that would change the world. Um, but the reality was that someone had saved up 10 grand to renovate their bathroom and they knew what they wanted and I just had to draw the pictures, right? Um, 
And so I was like, wow, this isn't this isn't quite as as groundbreaking and monumental as I had as I had dreamed. Um, and so crazily, uh, software development crossed my path, and it was a much faster way to achieve an end goal. Like you could you could dream something and you could make it today, and you could have that kind of almost tangible reward for the work that you'd done um and the feedback loop was much faster you know yeah. someone could give you feedback and and so you change things up um and uh, yeah i think that comes back to my procrastination i'm an impatient person and i think having a, a, a fast road to an end goal is um something that i get satisfaction from and then i jump to the next project I wonder how do you deal with the community world because community is not given, you know, like this right away results and right away feedback. You're right; it's a long game. Um, but I think that I get satisfaction from well, harking back to what I talked about before that that human connection and that uh, that understanding of what makes people tick and seeing like and also I think there is in a community there there are short term goals there are people that come to you looking for help or support and whether or not you immediately solve your problem the fact that you're there to offer that help and support um closes that dopamine loop for me and 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 kind of in some way makes them feel like they've had um the the result that they were looking for even if for them my advice is going to be a, a long, a longer proposition. So I, and also again, just that, that very quick give and take that very quick, here are all of these things that I'm interacting with. Here are all these people that I'm talking to. Here are all these things that I'm learning um, that, that aren't uh, like, if you, if you look at law or architecture, they're longstanding constructs that have been proven over lots of time. And whilst that's the backbone of community, the interactions are, are fast, they're hard and fast, right? You have yeah. you have something stressful and big here, they have something beautiful here, and you have something sort of floating along in the background, but you don't have to do something and then wait for years for other people to make it happen. Giving advice is quick. What people choose to do with it is isn't isn't my problem. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, it's, it's just it's just long story, long journey of building relationships, but yeah. it's helping you can help right away. Totally. totally. Once you wrote that you you thanked your father for sense of humor and work ethic. Oh yeah, so sense of humor, I got it. Tell me a little about <laughs> work ethic. Yeah. Um we when we were kids Yeah, work ethic. That, that's a really good question, actually. And I, I feel strongly about it, but I need to connect to what it is about it that makes me feel that way. I think my parents taught me that if you commit to something, then if you don't follow through the emotional tax that you cost the people around you is is big and that that's something that needs to be recognized and acknowledged and so i think my work ethic 
um, is is more rather than an employment work ethic. It's more to do with the fact that if I say I'm going to do something, then I, I will do it even to my own detriment. And it's something I try and teach my kids as well. And I feel like these days in our fast society, they don't. It's, it, people just don't commit in the, in the same way yeah. that they used to. And I think that if there was one thing that I would wish that we could instill in our kids that society is kind of taking away, it is that commitment to long-term things. It's uh, a really good example when my kids, when you've got young kids, um, you know, at school, they want to try all the things. They want to play soccer and they want to do gym and they want to do a million different things. And you want to give them all those opportunities because, you know, who knows what thing it is that will be what they're managing it, right? But if you don't, if they don't commit to one thing for a long time, you don't learn what it feels like to be good at something. And 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 being good at being a master of your craft is such a an empowering place to be. And and we don't not we society doesn't encourage that in the same way that it used to. It's really easy yeah. to jump from thing to thing to thing and really easy for our attention to be ripped away and really easy to give up on something because it's too hard. But I think that, um, yeah, for, for me, I really wanted to kind of instill, I made my kids do Taekwondo for 10 years, <laughs> even when they started to go, oh, I'm not really sure that this is something I'm enjoying. And I'm like, well, I, I don't know, why, let's dig into why you're not enjoying it. Are you being lazy are you bored are you you know what does this look like like you need to I think you need we need to question our motives for giving up on things but at the same time it's legit to give up on something if it's not serving its purpose like I, I reckon um, it was only about three years ago that I gave myself the um option to stop reading a book when it was shit right like you start reading a book and you <laughs> wow get, no way you you you, you did it yes <laughs> right right because i used to i'm like nope well I've, i've bought this book now and i'm invested and maybe i'm just not paying attention but it's like no why why am i actually wasting my life when there's a million more books out there so there there is there there is somewhere in the middle but i do think that There is, there is something to be said for getting really good at for being a master of your a master of your craft and for understanding what that looks like and and the value that that it, that it brings to you personally and to the people around you now I reminded uh, just you were talking I and the song of Shakira try everything just came to my mind and yep. I feel like you know when we were before it was like Okay, you have to commit. You have to find one job. You have to be professional yeah, exactly. in it. You have to do it. And now yeah. like, you can try everything, and it's totally. which is rather hard. So yeah, I know totally. it can be kind of generalist, but still, you know, I still I still have this bias. I don't know if it's good or bad. Like whatever, that you can't be good at everything, or you can be just mediocre at everything. You know, so totally. I completely agree. And I think um, one of the things that I learned from, actually was from working with Richard Millington at Feverbee, he taught me that you finding a niche 
and working very hard to become the first voice or the sorry the first name that is thought of when somebody talks about that thing is the way to you know to break into um the area that that you that you you will you know that that you are, are aiming to be or the thing that you love or whatever that looks like um but it's yeah it's it's, it's tricky because I think you've got that paradox of choice the same thing I was talking about before with the kids trying to decide what to do for school how the hell do I decide what the niche is going to be and what if I don't like it and so I think the flip side of that is that I one of the things that I encourage anyone that I mentor to do is to have the courage to pivot. Like, yeah, I imagine if I was still an architect, I, I wouldn't have had this crazy rich life that I have now. I might've had a different crazy rich life and <laughs> I would have been magic, but like you have to have the courage to pivot and you have to, but you, but you also have to own the reasons why I think. And it, and the reasons why I can't be, oh, because it was too hard or because I couldn't be bothered or because I couldn't work it out, but it was because I wasn't enjoying it. And I feel like this possibility to pivot is very similar to, you know, letting yourself to stop reading a book if you don't like it. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly, totally, totally is. But um, it's, yeah, it, but it touches a, a different part of my psychology right so well, one feels empowering and one feels naughty um and oh, to be frank I tend to err towards naughty um but I think <laughs> I don't know how naughty is not finishing a book wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> so sense of humor and twerk ethic from your father and twice yeah. from your mother oh um Kindness and practicality. I think my mom, um, from my mom, life skills. Well, I think from my mom, a philosophical skill was that your money isn't worth anything, but your time is. And so my mom has always been somebody that volunteers and mentors. Like growing up, we always would have um, other kids come and live with us because they were having a shitty time at their own home or they didn't have somewhere to go or whatever. And so growing up, we just learned that our, our dining room table was a place for anyone and uh, maybe a community. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so from my mom, yeah, I learned, I learned that I've always volunteered my time um, for different charities. And, and that's something like giving, giving back like that, that social, that social reciprocity is is really important. And I learned that from my mum. And also, yeah, just maybe that procrastination and, and, and practicality. My mum doesn't drop balls. Like she she's always on top of a game. She's got, I've got all these lists on my desk and post-it notes and photos around it. I'm, this might as well be my mum's desk, right? Um, so I, I look like my dad, and I behave like my dad, but I think my brain works like my mom. Yeah, it's really nice. And what is the first memory of your childhood that comes to your mind right now? Oh, it's not even an interesting one. I've got two. Actually, the, the first one's not interesting, and this is the true first memory. The second one is more interesting. And, uh, you know, I'll start with the first one. The first memory I have of my childhood is the first time I ever had a shower. 
because again I don't know who who's listening but in New Zealand like you always put your kids in the bath when they're babies right and you and if you don't have a bath you put them in the sink or whatever like you know you bath your baby and so for us having a shower felt like this grown-up thing and I think I was four when I had my first shower because we've been traveling um, up north to the beach and on the way home we had to stay at a motel and so yeah it was a it was a pink shower the whole room was pink and I remember um, just being so proud that I was in my first shower um, wow I've just realized that I broadcasted on the internet the most boring first memory ever so my second first memory um, which by itself is a misnomer um, was my best friend I've had the same best friend all my life we were born together um and we were on the beach when we were young and he got me at, do, do you know wwf that wrestle those world wrestling things where yeah. they do all that yeah so he tried um what was called the boston crab on me <laughs> uh and i was just lying on my stomach on the, in, the, in the sand and he got my got my legs and uh was about to break my back and i remember um thinking that if you pressured it harder, I, I was about to die. Uh, but the, the beautiful end of the story is that my sister, so my sister's a year younger than me and she was extremely young and she just came out screaming, no, no, please stop. And I was like, oh, wow, my sister's got my back. And so <laughs> it was, <laughs> was a traumatising moment. Um, it was kind of, yeah, fundamental in, in, in some kind of childhood psyche way. Um Man, I wish I had had a better first memory than that pink shower. <laughs> you know, that pink shower is like a very nice memory that you, I, I feel like it's the first time when you saw like, okay, I'm growing up. Totally, totally. I was I'm like, aware I'm like my parents, things. I'm like adults already. Yep, exactly. It was the, I think it was the first time that I realized that if you behaved in a certain way more more things come and oh what else what else might might happen might happen so then I went out and had a beer no I'm joking <laughs> <laughs> you shared with me that most strangers who meet you are shocked to find out that you are a CEO so why yes. so uh well if you think back over the last half an hour of my smack talk you know <laughs> Um, I think that, yeah, it's interesting. This is something I've been thinking about a little bit lately. Um, I, I think there's two reasons. One is that I don't talk about it a lot. And the reason that I don't talk about it a lot is because when I say I'm a CEO, people go, oh, wow, a female CEO, well done. So yeah, what do you mean? Well done. Do you say that? Do you say that to others? So I don't, and and as a result, I come in hot, and I'm like, wow, well, wow. Well, do you do you want to get into that? And so I've learned that in, in a social situation, probably not the best way <laughs> to open the conversation. Yeah. Um, I think the other reason is that I prefer conversations that are equal and whilst being a CEO is no more important than any other job it's just a job yeah. people do tend to defer to you in a way that implies that you have some kind of amazing seniority or advice or something that you want to give and I in a social situation that's not what I want to do I want to talk about 
like I want to talk about if you want to talk about work, then I, I want to talk about the product that we build and the and the reason that we build it and the things that I love about my work. If you want to talk about who I am, I want to talk about the things that are fun for me or the things that I find important and the the fact that I and to be fair, I'm a co-CEO, the fact that I'm a co-CEO is not on the top of either of those lists. Um, and so I don't tend to talk about it. And so I think after um, a period of time of those other conversations when people go, oh, so what is it that you actually do at Discourse? And I say, I'm the CEO. They're like, well, holy shit, why didn't you open with that? I'm like, well, because it would have been a different conversation and it wasn't the conversation that is the most important to me. You wouldn't have given me the same feedback about our product. You wouldn't have given me the same feedback about myself. You wouldn't have told me the things about your job. You wouldn't have connected yeah. in the same way. Uh, that you would have if I just told you that I work at the gym or that I work at discourse or, you know, like it it, it does, it, it creates, not for everyone, but I've learned that it creates an elephant in the room that I don't necessarily enjoy first. Yeah. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm proud of it, but I would rather get to know someone on what is generally considered to be a more equal level before I talk about what, my actual role in the company is yeah i i feel like sometimes titles are like ruining everything like oh yep. you're a ceo or oh you are a founder or oh you are this this like who cares you exactly know? let's like talk if, about if, the product or the concept having yeah. a business conversation like definitely you can use the titles and like you can talk on the same level but yeah you know like what i found like for personally that it yeah. basically doesn't matter what your title is. No. You're a good human, you know, yeah. and if you're having these human conversations, you can connect like on any level and then like, it doesn't matter. But yeah, I know it's all about our society and all the stuff and it's just yeah. making things harder. Yeah, and, and it, does to, it does to some people matter, but you don't know when you're talking to someone, whether it's someone that it matters to or not and why. And so that does that does frame the conversation. I um, had a job once where we were allowed to make up our own job titles. So I I was the galactic overlord at Cyclone. And <laughs> people ask me what I did for a job and I said I was the galactic overlord. It was a different, it was a different conversation. So maybe I should go with that now. <laughs> What was the first reaction of those people? <laughs> uh, the first reaction was that I was making it up until <laughs> they went online and discovered that that, that was. That was. <laughs> so they literally checked it. Occasionally, yeah. <laughs> okay, so well, what was the honest, second it reaction? It does sound made up, right? <laughs> Oh, fun. And <laughs> you told me that your husband and most of your friends are DJs. So does somebody has to be a DJ to become your friend? No. <laughs> uh, they've become, and maybe to be fair, most of my friends is, a, is, is an exaggeration. But um, And also, so my husband works um, for a company that builds DJ gear. So as a result, our social circle tends to be people that 
that are peripherally connected in, in that regard. Um, so that's how that's how that came about. Um, but uh, I I, en I enjoy it. Um, I enjoy the creativity, like creative. No, I was gonna I was gonna say something contentious then. I enjoy being around creative people because the conversations I learn more from the conversations, I think. Um, I'm being careful not to imply that people that aren't creative don't have interesting conversations because that's not what I mean. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I learned I I you know I grew up playing music we as kids we all learned, we learned, all learned instruments and so there is something about music and the way that it allows us to think more laterally that I find um, attractive I think and so for that reason plus I like to party and when you've got DJs that are playing at most of the events you get in. <laughs> <laughs> what was your musical instrument? My musical instrument was the clarinet. I played the clarinet for 17 years, but I'm going to be completely honest. The day I moved out of home, I been I think I was about 17 years and three months was the last day I picked up my clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> Do I regret it? No. We played. I played in an orchestra, the Auckland Youth Philharmonic Orchestra, and we travelled. We travelled overseas. We travelled around the country. And being part of this collective, like 60 people that are making this beautiful thing, is such an empowering experience. And I loved it. But I did not love practising my clarinet. And I did not love how boring it was playing one sixtieth of that magic uh, thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and I was never naturally musically talented. I think I could I could read the music and and follow the thing, but I I was not um, one of those people that you listen to and you just get carried away. <laughs> I was someone that you listen to and you're like, yeah, she's she's functionally playing that music. <laughs> you survived epilepsy and melanoma. Oh, and so, scurvy. Let's throw scurvy in there. Even more. So <laughs> how did it how did it impact your life and personality? Yeah, good question. Um so the the scurvy, <laughs> that's my favorite. The scurvy was when I was very young. Okay, favorite. Okay, yeah, it's it's a good way to start this conversation. Okay, continue. The scurvy, I was um, I I was at I so I left home when I was seventeen and I went traveled down the country to architecture school and so I was flashing with other students and we didn't we had ten dollars a day for our food budget so we would go to the pub up the road and. For $3, you could get a, a liter of beer. So we'd get two liters of beer each. And then we had enough money for a McDonald's cheeseburger on the way home. So for about two years, the only green veggies I ate were like one pickle. And so I got um, my hair started falling out. My nails started bleeding. My gums started bleeding. And I thought I had leukemia. So I we had a party, which was my 
before I get my diagnosis party. And then I went to the doctor and they said, um, hang on a minute. I'm just going to get some backup and four doctors came in and I was like, oh shit, I do have leukemia. And they were like, you've got scurvy and we have never seen this. We have never seen a case of scurvy. So early on then I, I discovered that there was something spectacular about escaping uh, crazy illnesses. The second one, yeah, epilepsy, that was tricky. I had a really difficult time uh, in my 20s working at Xerox when my husband, who also worked there, um, left and went to a competitor and uh, there was this situation whereby they were pretty sure I was passing him competitive information. So they started to treat me pretty badly. Um, and the stress, I'm not somebody that suffers from any form of mental illness. I'm super fortunate that I don't get anxious or anything. And so I think my, my shut off my off switch was just to lose consciousness. And so I was having these seizures and they weren't Cromwell seizures. I wasn't, I didn't fit. I just lost, lost consciousness. And so if something got too big, I would just hit the floor. Um, and that happened quite a lot for uh, quite a few months. And so um, I got medicated. I went through the usual channels and the medication worked really quickly. Uh, the tricky thing, you can't drive when you have seizures. Um, so, you know, the, there's a, a, quite a few logistical parts of life that that change. Um, but I became a really, I became a big advocate of, of talking about epilepsy and talking about seizures and trying to kind of destigmatize what, what that looked like. So there was some value um, there. And so, yeah, I, I was medicated for 10 years. Um, and I went, oh, it's probably eight or nine years ago, I went off my medication and I haven't had a seizure since. So um, they say that you're you're never an ex-epileptic. Um, so I guess I still am one, but I, yeah, I, I feel grateful that, I, that I'm no longer affected by seizures at this time anyway. So I just need to look after my, my physical and mental well-being, I suppose. Um, melanoma, yeah, that was a scary one. That was very recently. Um, it was only a few months ago, um, New Zealand, skin cancer capital of the world <laughs> yeah. um, you can't go in our sun but like our, our burn time in summer is usually six minutes um so yeah we don't we don't have ozone uh and and, and lots of us guys so um yeah i grew up with skin cancer in my family and as a result we get checked often it's just kind of part of part of our psyche but um yeah i got i got melanoma this year which was a shock even though you're kind of prepared for for people listening that don't know about melanoma, it's like one of the fastest moving cancers that can kill you in six weeks. Um, so yeah, that was super shocking. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, it, it made me, um, well, I've always said, and I, I still, I still will say it that I had, I known that that was going to happen. So it's all gone by the way, I'm, I'm fine. Um, but had I known that that was going to happen, I wouldn't have, lived my life any differently I think I would rather live my life in the sun and have that kill me than not and that might be, that might be contentious for for people and I, I'm sorry because everyone has their own their own reality but for me yeah I, I love I love the sun I love being outside I love um work, working my garden I love walking I love all of those things I love just lying in the sun and reading my book so um yeah so I, I I dodged that bullet but um 
it'll keep going for me. <laughs> now, yeah, just got to get checked every few months here in New Zealand. And we're pretty good at, I'm pretty good at figuring out what it looks like now. But yeah, and also they tell me that chicks love scars and I've got quite a munty one on my leg now. So <laughs> it is what it is, right? Yeah. And, you know, like I'm listening to you and you are so positive and you're so easy talking about it but I, I i totally feel it's not it, it was not that easy you know no so, especially I, not for the people that love me yeah 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 no it's it's yeah it's horrible it's it's horrible but um yeah i think that cancer is just something that's a reality for most of us now whether whether we get it or someone we care about or love does yeah. um And I and that's why I have to be careful about saying I would live my life in the sun again because that it's a bit of a kick in the face for for people that not that I chose this cancer, but you know there are people that it comes comes from nowhere and you and you lose people for, to shocking circumstances. Um, but yeah, and the irony will be that I'll get some other cancer <laughs> that will kill me and then I I will regret. <laughs> Okay. One life, right? We get one life. Good, good sense of humor. Okay, got it. <laughs> <laughs> Once you've tried to eat breakfast with a knife and pen, so how did it go? Wow, where did you dig that up from? I, I'm, I cannot remember when that happened, but I suspect that it was a time when uh, life was crazy and I was trying to do too many things at once and was probably eating at my desk between meetings quickly and had that awkward blowout. <laughs> What's the date on it? Have you got the date on that? Uh, it was November 24th of 2021. Yeah, my memory's not that good. <laughs> but I'm I'm not going to deny it. It certainly sounds like something that I would have done. <laughs> What usually makes you laugh? Oh, I think we've probably learned pretty much anything. Um, <laughs> um, what makes me laugh? Absolute stupidity. I love I love um, I love it when people laugh at themselves. I love it when people laugh at the silliness of life. I think I learned from my dad, like silly words. I think I, I, I spend a lot of time using silly words so much so that I lose perspective of the fact that those are silly words. <laughs> and then I hear my kids saying them when I'm like, Oh guys, don't say that in public. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I, I use humor to make other people feel comfortable. I use humor to, I would say, I was going to say to mask my own awkwardness, but I, that's not true. because I, well, it probably is true, but I don't do it actively. Um, I think, I think humor is so, so important. And I think that if you, smile and laugh with somebody early on they just feel much more at ease and 
I would prefer that the people that I interact with feel at ease. Um, yeah, I have the, my best conversations when we have a laugh. Um, I, and, and also like I deal with a lot of different people in, in my job and lots of people don't have the same confidence or the same ease that I have and, and I've learned that just having a laugh is a is a, a reasonably sure way to get somebody to feel like they can open up a little bit more. And also I'm a Kiwi and I think we 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 that's that's kind of how we roll. So I, I can't own all of this. <laughs> yeah, I, I recently had a conversation with one Tavania Logan and she is aspiring to be a Kiwi. So <laughs> <laughs> It's a magic place. Oh, it's a magic place. I I know that like one of the things that I tell my kids all the time is that you make your own luck, but you you don't you don't get to choose the family that you're born into or the land in which you're born. And I'm so super grateful for both of those things. Yeah, it, 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 this is a, a a gorgeous place to live and a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> got it you know how i really wish to have the sky is the limit to our conversation but time is the limit so let's jump to the rapid fire questions are you oh, ready wow rapid fire questions bring it on <laughs> gardening or knitting uh gardening hazy ipa or sauvignon blanc sauvignon blanc what are your favorite color and song my favorite color is cornflower blue, and my favorite song is Europe, the final countdown. If you were a superhero, what superpower would you have? Oh, I would always win. <laughs> Who do you learn <laughs> from in the community world? Name just one person. Who do I learn from? Jeff Atwood. Name two people who I should definitely invite to this conversation. Ooh, that's tough. Um, I don't know who you've already invited, so I will say David Spinks and ooh, now I'm trying to think of who I... Ooh, well, nefarious reason. Okay. People that I, David Spinks, um, and if you want an interesting take, Richard Millington. In fact, invite them together. Hmm. <laughs> it's interesting. By the way, by the way, David Spinks was already, and Richard Millington, we met with him in Prague, and I told um, him that he will definitely we will definitely have this conversation so yeah thank you very much and is there one question that i definitely should have asked you but didn't well i would have said you should have asked me what my favorite song is but you did and so <laughs> i want everyone that listens to us in the future to remember that the next time they hear the final countdown by europe they need to think of me <laughs> definitely uh you know like when you told that I was like, first of all, it played in my mind immediately. And now, now it's on the phone. 
So you got it. <laughs> Yay! Oh man, I've yeah. had a good time. I appreciate this. Thank you very much. It's still it's still hard, you know. I still want to call you Sarah, but I know, and it's still hard for me. So because no. I f I feel like you know it, we kind of like in the U.S. military, but we are not. So <laughs> look, and to, for anyone listening as well, it, it, it's never a problem. It is my name. It doesn't offend me. It's just uh, I might not answer, yeah. not because of being rude, but because I might think you're talking to one of the other Sarahs in the room. <laughs> okay, so now we are two here. So Sarah, thank you very much for this conversation. I'm super happy to know you better and to you really have a great sense of humor. And I laugh a lot with you today, even though where it's not always an easy theme. And yeah, just thank you very much for you. You know, like you kind of impacted my community life from the professional part and after this conversation you definitely impacted my personal life so Yay. thank you very much for that and yeah it was a great conversation <laughs> i appreciate that i've enjoyed it too and yeah see you in the community world <laughs> and thank you so much for listening if you like the show hit the like button or five stars and share it with your friend that's it we're done see you in the next episode